This past week I spoke at the uh, Naval Hospital at Camp Pendleton and I made this statement and I want to make the same one this morning as we introduce what we're going to discuss. Something is wrong in America. I don't know if you've noticed, but something is seriously wrong in America. And, uh, and, and what's, what's sad about it is that in a nation that, has, uh, that is rich in history as far as democratic principles and moral values, it's, it's sad to see that we're in such a desperate struggle today. And uh, I don't know if you, if you think about it, but there really is a battle that's taking place, and it's really for the soul of America. And, uh, and let me give you a couple of examples to demonstrate what I'm trying to get across. You know, we are more interested now in the quality of life than we are in the sanctity of life. And I think that's become evidenced by the uh, numerous newspaper articles and news telecasts uh, that are featuring this Dr. Death. Um, you know, and what's it all about? It's about the quality of life. Uh, we read about and hear about selective abortion that has to do with, you know, a disabled fetus of some sort or somehow or another it's not going to have the, quote, quality, and it's really a matter of definition, what, quote, the quality of life that we would want to have. And uh, these are the things that are, these are the struggles that are taking place in society. And as far as justice is concerned, what a joke. We've got to the point where victims of crimes are all but forgotten in our attempt to better understand those who commit the crimes. It's a joke. It's a travesty of justice is what it is. But that's the dilemma that we find ourselves in. It's just amazing to me what's going on around us. We're no longer held accountable for our action. We have to get to the root and try to understand why we do what we do. And if enough of us believe that the reasons were good enough, then the actions don't make any difference anymore. The rights, of, the rights and the privacy of individuals are more important than the betterment of society as a whole. We're more concerned about not offending certain people. It's interesting. I love this. I saw this uh, cartoon. It's a Doonesbury cartoon. But it kind of illustrates the point. As, as I saw this, I, it, it's what's going on. If you can picture for a moment a professor of math walking through the campus with the dean of the math department, here's, what, here's what's taking place. The, dean of the, math, uh, the chairman of the math department says, Jules, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Um, you handed out a B-plus last month. As chairman of the math department, I think I was entitled to some advance warning. You must have known it would provoke a firestorm of reaction. The professor says, well, actually, Tom, I didn't think. I mean, I didn't. I thought that I was still, it was still possible to assign a grade based on performance and merit. He goes, well, that's a little bit naive, don't you think, Jules? I mean, after all, this is a new generation of students. They insist on a certain comfort level. See, it doesn't matter if you've got a kid who believes 1 plus 1 equals 3. From now on, Jules, you have to work around that. He goes, work around it. He goes, yes, don't you know that you have to make math accessible to everybody? <laughs> you know, and, I, and I read that and I thought, gee, you know what, though? I mean, it's funny, but it, it makes a point. It's, it's ridiculous. Don't give people grades anymore because we don't want to offend anybody that would get a D or an E or they'd fail. Let's just make everybody and we'll lump us all in one big group, one big happy flunky group together. Because what I have seen, and you've probably seen the same thing, we are drawn to the lowest common denominator. That's just the way that it is. And what happens is in a society that no longer wants to try to judge one another based on performance and merit, we all just kind of get lumped together. 
We live in a country that there's 1.5 million abortions committed every year. Every year, 1.5 million. And, and what even make, compounds the problem is that 80% of them, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, 80% of those abortions are, are performed on single mothers, unmarried mothers, women that have gotten pregnant outside of the responsibility and the bonds in, of marriage. You know, um, unplanned, inconvenient. There's been more babies killed in our country than has all the, all the wars that we ever fought and all the crimes that have ever been committed put together. We have killed more children in our country in the last 20 years than that particular fact. You know, there is, there's something wrong in America, and we have to stop every now and then and examine ourselves and wonder what in the world's going on. How about the newspaper headline a month ago, Orange County Register, some of you remember it. Not even a month ago, January 9th, 1994, big, bold headlines, Orange County ethics slip sliding away. That's what it says. 25% or one in four residents in Orange County can't point to a single positive role model. There's something seriously wrong here. Here's what the pollster said. He goes, there's a tendency to say things were always better before. He goes, but there are signs of decay in the fabric of society today, and it manifests itself in different ways. The decline in standards of education, violence is a lot more visible. You see one political and religious scandal after another. One group after another is caught up in some sort of scandal, and when you begin subtracting all the, two, all the institutions, and a lot of people are left with nothing. That's true. Our definition of marriage, our definition of family, our definition of personhood have all radically changed. 50% of marriages in our country end in divorce. Millions of children are thrown into situations where they grow up in hostility and bitterness and anger and resentment. That's just the way it is. Our fear of discrimination and subsequent lawsuits has led to a religion of secularism that's bent on eliminating any references of God, any references of the Bible, any references of Judeo-Christian heritage that we have as far as a nation is concerned. That's the America that we live in today. And it's like this everywhere all across the country. This past, uh, this past fall when we were back in Atlanta when the Rams played the Falcon, these were the headlines in the Atlanta newspaper. Two columns in the paper dealt with gay hostility toward new armed services policies. Two other columns cited the increased number of single mothers in America. There was a big story in a county, local county, where the county commissioners had adopted a resolution condemning homosexual behavior. We live in a day, and I deal with people on a regular basis who are led to believe as professional athletes they no longer have to be any type of role model. In fact, there's one commercial that actually goes so far as to have an athlete say, I'm no role model. There. As if somehow now they're all off the hook, everyone's off the hook. I'm no role model. We've got guys who make millions of dollars a year who find themselves indicted on drug, tra drug trafficking charges. I mean, there is something wrong here. In Miami, a German tourist was driving down the street. Her car was hit from behind. Two thugs get out of the car. They drag her out of the car. They beat her. They shoot her. And then they run her over in front of her children and, and, and her mother. In Oakland, California, a woman was chasing another woman down the street. The one who was being chased was tripped by a crowd that saw what was going on. The, as she was ly lying in the street, the one who came behind her came up from behind her and started to beat her and stab her, and the crowd chanted, kill her, kill her, kill her. I mean, that's what's going on. We've got kids here locally, high school kids, they kidnap another kid. 
They take him to their home in a garage. They pour rubbing alcohol down his throat. They gag him with duct tape. Then they beat him with a baseball bat. They leave him half dead, and then they bury him out in the backyard to, to asphyxiate in the yard. There is, something, there is something wrong in America. And what's sad about it is we'll try to understand why they did what they did <laughs> rather than enact justice in a situation like that. There's something seriously wrong. It's the new face of crime in America. If you've read Bob Vernon's latest book called L.A. Justice, there's a point in the book where he says this. In his 30 years in law enforcement, he has never seen a time in the history of his involvement in law enforcement where there have been more crimes committed without reason or without remorse. We had a friend who was an uh, uh, emergency room physician here locally and decided to move away from this area, and he was in a, a pretty rough area as he saw the victims of all of these violent acts coming in on a regular basis. And he said this, he said, Chuck, you know what? I have never been more afraid for my children than I am today. Watching it day after day after day. And the sad thing is that crime and all these things are just really a symptom of a root problem, and the root problem is something that we need to deal with. And that root problem is we're witnessing in our country, in our society, one of the, the most terrifying things that any culture can witness, and that is the death of our consciences. Some have called it the death of our soul. We're no longer sensitive to any of these things anymore. We've become somehow or another uh, uh, callous to all of it. We're witnessing the death of our conscience. And the question that we have to ask as we go through this is, you know, uh, you've got to ask, where did it go? W where did our conscience go? And, and these are very serious questions, and these are what we're going to deal with as we go through this particular series, because I want to examine things like, you know, the importance of marriage. Uh, this will not be a marriage series. The importance of marriage, the definition of a family. We're going to discuss things like pornography and homosexuality and sexual disease and AIDS, things that are very common uh, is social issues in our society, things that we need to be better informed about so that we can do something about them in a positive and constructive manner. We'll talk about abortion a little bit, but we'll also talk about, well, what about euthanasia? What about this argument of quality of life? Is Kevorkian some, you know, new pioneer into something that, you know, this is the direction that we're going to be heading? And this is how it all gets started. And we're going to be witnesses to this. And maybe we won't see the fruition of it, but maybe our children will or their children will. We need to take a good hard look at some of these things that are going on that are slowly being embraced by our culture as being acceptable. We'll take a look at gambling and take a look at lotteries and all the rest of it that's going on. We've got to look at some very tough social issues in order to better understand this question. Where did our conscience go? What's happened to us as a society? And as we go through it, we've got to, I want to address the question that I know that every one of us has asked, and I know I have, and I find myself asking it on a regular basis, and that's, what in the world is going on? How did all this happen? When did it happen? When did it start to happen? And, you know, where, where have I been that I don't recognize it or see it? How did all of this happen? There are really, I, I believe there are three major factors that have led to the death of our conscience in our society. And I want you to think about them with me, but think about it just as an overview. Number one, the theory of evolution. I believe the theory of evolution has been a major factor into, de into the death of our conscience as a society. And let me explain to you why. In an, I'm not going to explain the whole theory of evolution or even get into it, but the bottom line is that, that evolution finds its, its history in the writings of Charles Darwin. 
and Charles Darwin, basically, this particular theory permeates every classroom you'll ever go into, from elementary school all the way through college and graduate courses. It's everywhere, all around, and it is, it is explained as fact and not theory. It's never taught as someone's idea. It is taught adamant, adamantly and dogmatically as if this is reality. An amazing thing is none of its conclusions have ever been proven by factually or even in any type of scientific method. But it just slowly pervades our culture. Let me give you a couple examples. This is just in the last couple of weeks as I was thinking about what we're going to be discussing. This is in, in, in you know, a newspaper article, Orange County Re Register. Big, big headlines. Evidence of walking whales discovered. I mean, this, this is second page. This is second page news. And you read this and go, oh, this is interesting. Let's explore this a little bit. Fifty million years ago, where an ocean washed the shores of a drifting continent, a primitive race of walking whales moved from the land to the sea to open a new act on the evolutionary stage. Drum rolls, please. So it says, now scientists have found the first fossil skeleton of such a unique whale. Goes on and says, now this is the kind of stuff that really bugs me. That scientists have long known that the first land animals emerged from the oceans about 370 million years ago. They've long known this. When a few primitive fish-like creatures developed lungs and legs, voila, to become the ancestors of today's amphibians. Otherwise, how else did all this happen? But the origins of marine mammals have remained more obscure. Now, although most four-legged animals have remained on land ever since they climbed ashore, a few returned to the sea millions of years ago, perhaps to escape the swift-running predators, even while they retained their limbs. Now, stop and think about it. There are these animals. They were on the shore. They were looking around saying, it's too hot for me here. It's a little too warm. My skin's starting to flake. I'm out of here. You coming with me or you staying? I'm going. I'm out. I'm gone. They're back. You know, and, and this is, scientists have long known all this, and the way that they just throw us all off is, if it's 370 million years ago, I can't argue with that. I wasn't there. Were you there? No, you weren't there, so how do you know? So this sounds good to me. It's like, what in the world? Stop and think about it. You read and you go, this is the dumbest thing I've ever thought, I, I've ever heard. Or I can't believe it's in a newspaper. We're sitting at Epcot a couple of years ago, Walt Disney World, and they're going through this big show. And it shows you how it permeates every area of our culture. They're going through this big explanation. And somehow or another, they say, through the evolutionary process over a million years, and they always have a real deep, you know, baritone kind of guy announcing it with music in the background, which obviously adds to the authenticity of what they're saying. Through the evolutionary process over a million years ago, and now have transformed, we now have, and I'm sitting there listening to something, and I say, wait a minute. And everyone just, they're glued in, they're listening, and they're being taught this, and they're being convinced that this is true. The effort to rename the Big Bang ends up a big bust. Well, this is interesting. The, the trip from Zip was suggested. So was the blast from the past, the spark in the dark, or how about Buddha's burp? <laughs> they try to come up with a new name for the Big Bang Theory. 
The Big Bang Theory states that sometime, now listen to this, sometime between 10 billion and 20 billion years ago, the universe expanded rapidly out of a microcosmic dot. One heck of a dot, I may add. <laughs> because this dot contained all matter and energy, and it continues to expand today. You know, in, in faith in a living God is a stretch. And faith in creation is hard to fathom for some. And faith in believing that someone created what we now see around us is harder to believe than this. But this is taught as fact. And that's what the rub is. If it was taught as theory or an idea, it'd be one thing. Then let us teach the idea or theory of creation as well. And let's let the facts speak for themselves. But that's not the culture we live in anymore, is it? Because why? Because the theory of evolution denies the existence of God. The theory of evolution doesn't have room for a creator. The theory of evolution doesn't allow for a creator to exist, one in whom we would have to become accountable to. The theory of creator doesn't make room for God. The theory of evolution, I'm sorry, doesn't make room for God. And it is taught as fact. And that's what's wrong in our culture. How did it happen? How did our conscience begin to, get, to die? Because we stood by and we allowed someone to come up with the most ridiculous theory in the world to eliminate and rub out God. That's the theory of evolution. Moral absolutes and total, moral absolutes uh, totally undermines the theory of evolution. So as a result, the, the evolutionists don't believe that there are any absolutes or moral values because it undermines everything that they teach. The incredible thing is that there are many of us who believe it. There are many of us in the Christian community who try to somehow or another incorporate it into their belief system. And it's nonsense. The second thing is secular humanism, which basically is a religion in and of itself. In 1933, the Humanist Manifesto was written, and in it describes everything that they believe, but it was further, part two came out in 1973. Let me read to you what's being taught and believed by many. As in 1933, humanists still believe that traditional theism, especially faith, listen to this, especially faith in the prayer-hearing God, assumed to love and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is unproven and an outmoded faith. Salvationism, based on mere affirmation, still appears as harmful, diverting people with false hopes of heaven hereafter. Reasonable minds look to other means of survival. They go on. But we can discover no divine purpose or providence for the human species. While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or what we'll become. No deity will ever save us. We must save ourselves. Then they go on and say promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. This is what they believe. This is what they teach. And two of the basic tenets of, of secular humanism are they advocate euthanasia and abortion. Interesting, isn't it? How about this? Situational ethics. Situational ethics. This is a belief system that says there's no absolutes. Everything de depends upon the situation, the circumstances. 
Here's what one gentleman writes in a book, Situation Ethics at Work. It says, in some situations, unmarried love could be infinitely more moral than married unlove. Lying could be more Christian than telling the truth. Stealing could be better than respecting private property. No action is good or right in itself. It depends on whether it hurts or helps people, whether or not it serves love's purpose, understanding love to be a personal concern in that particular situation. Doesn't that sound familiar in a lot of circles, doesn't it? If we love one another, it's okay. So in certain situations, in certain circumstances, it doesn't matter what you do, it's the reason behind why you do that we really need to understand because if it's a, a, a good reason in our definition of good or bad, then we should accept what you're doing because it was good. And see how even that has permeated our justice system that we just talked about. It's permeated every uh, cultural uh, deviation that has come up as far as homosexual groups are concerned. That's their main argument. That's their big argument. That's the only leg they have to stand on. So it's not the actions anymore. It's why we do what we do. It's the situation that's involved. Which brings us to another question, and uh, one that uh, we need to get into. The question simply is this. Are there still moral absolutes? Are there moral absolutes? Are there laws morally for the universe that are the same as the physical laws for the universe? Or somehow or another in our moral code that we've now uh, somehow adopted, does one plus one equal three? Are there moral absolutes? Are there things that we could call that are right and wrong? Can we know the difference between the two? That's a very valid question. And I want to try to generate a little response here because I want you to think with me on this particular issue. Because here's the, here's the challenge. We deal with this every day, whether you believe it or not. We deal with this every day. You just haven't thought about it in the context in which I'm going to help you think about it because this will challenge the way that we think. Let me ask you a question. Group discussion. What makes something right and what makes something wrong? Now, see, what will happen here is that we'll get the right answer. But when you leave here then you throw the right answer out the door and you come up with all kind of different ideas. What makes something right or wrong? See, now you're not going to say anything because you know better. <laughs> See, there are a few people who are already thinking, what makes something right or wrong? God, the Bible, and those are right answers, right? But that's not the world that we live in because, see, the world we live in that's already got sucked into the evolutionary theory, that's already got caught up in situational ethics, that's gotten caught up in all the rest of these theories that are out there, they don't believe in the existence of God, so therefore God is no longer an authority, and if God is not in existence, there are no moral absolutes. So now we're left in a culture or society that's trying to determine right or wrong with nobody in charge to determine what really is right or wrong. So here's what happens. What makes, who's to say adultery is wrong? Situational ethics would be, that's not wrong if there's a good reason why you did it. Right? Well, wrong. Yeah, but wrong if you're dealing with somebody who has a standard to go back to. But if you're not dealing with anyone who recognizes God or his existence or a standard of right or wrong, then what do you, what do you measure human behavior against? Well, see, here's the, here's the rub. We shouldn't, as Christians who believe in God and believe in the authority of his word, we don't change his standard because that's what society wants, 
right? That's our problem. But see, many of us as believers are getting duped into changing the standard because more and more people want it a different way. And that's where we're really going to have a difficult time if our culture's conscience continues to die or dies at some point because we're going to be out here all by ourselves, and I'll guarantee you that's what's going to happen. We're going to be left alone unless we can begin to explain to people why their rationale is so crazy. What makes something right or wrong? I told you a story about the gal who I went and met with because she wanted to leave her husband, and she wanted to leave her husband, and he said, would you please meet with us? I said, fine, I'll meet with you, but this is going to be really an interesting experience because, as I asked her, would you do what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Here's what she said. I believe I can do whatever I wanted to do as long as it didn't hurt somebody. How many of you heard that argument? As long as this doesn't hurt somebody, it's okay to do it. That's what she said. So, her husband's sitting there. I look at him. I look in his face. I say, let me ask you this question. If she leaves you, will it hurt you? The guy has tears in his eyes, and he looks at her and says, please don't leave. We can work it out. She looked at me and said, well, but, uh, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> well, what did you mean? It help me understand, because, you know, look at me. I'm not that bright. Help me understand this. Follow this all the way through for me. But I don't care. That's not what I meant. But that's what you said. But that's really not what you meant. And what you meant was, I don't care what he thinks, I'm leaving anyway, and it doesn't matter what you say, that's the way it is. Oh, okay. But many people say, as long as it doesn't hurt somebody, that makes it right or wrong. What makes premarital sex or extramarital sex right or wrong? As long as it doesn't hurt anybody? As long as everybody's in agreement? If y'all work it out, great, then have at it? What's right or wrong? See, that's the society we live in. If we agree and we work it out, then that's okay, and there are no absolutes, so we just work it out ourselves. Does the law make something right or wrong? When is cheating right? When is lying right? When is stealing right? When you're hungry, you don't have any food, so it's okay to steal. When you're abused, it's okay to kill. You see where this is all going? There is no right or wrong. There are no moral standards. There are no absolutes. So everything has to be determined on an individual basis. Here's a frightening thing. Now who determines what's right or wrong? Our legal system. Judges and lawyers. Oh. Just kidding. But... I am in a way. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm really not in another way. But think about it. Isn't that true? Who determines what's right or wrong? Whoever gets the last say. Whatever they think. See, now, here's the problem. In a, de in a democratic country with democratic principles, our elected officials, those who govern us, govern us as a representative of the people collectively. That's the standard that was set. They govern based on the representation of the people. They don't determine what is right or wrong. The masses of people determine what is right or wrong. And as long as the masses of people all follow some standard of absolute, which is right or wrong, the system works great. But when the masses of people determine that they don't know what right or wrong is anymore, they don't care if, if there's any absolutes, they don't believe in any absolutes, 
then those who govern us are put in a position of trying to govern us based on no standard of absolutes, and so they determine whatever that standard is as they come and go out of office. And if we don't like the way that they govern, then we vote them out of office. But the problem is, if the majority of people don't believe in absolute standards, and and it continues to happen this way, and we continue to move this direction, then the majority of people who are going to vote are going to vote for people who are like-minded. And then we're going to have anarchy in our country. That's where we're heading. You say, what's wrong with America? Here's some ideas. Here's another idea. Think about this. This is the same newspaper article, the Orange County Register on ethics, morality slip sliding away. Here's one individual who says this. Now, this would be really embarrassing. I was thinking about this. This guy had his picture in the paper with his wife and, and I think well, just his wife. They, they give his name, his age, and what city he lives in. And this is what he's quoted as saying. You can't take everything that your pastor or your rabbi says at face value, said so-and-so, who refers to himself as a Christian. You have to have a questioning mind. Now, the attitude... Now, here, this is what the article says, and you pick out some things that are interesting, but it says, but it is this, it is this attitude that some ethicists and... Now, let's do this. Devout religious people believe is poisoning, is the poison eating away at the root of American morality. He goes just not, they go on to talk about the dangers of choosing your own ethics, choosing what is right or wrong, and all of us will choose whatever is going to implicate us in the least. But his point is, is that you have to have a questioning mind. You can't believe anything. See, and, and, and here's what we need to understand. In some ways, what he says is true. If you take it another way, it's not true. Which means, if you take it in the way that he said it as if there are no such things as moral absolutes, you have to determine those for yourself, then he's way off base. And he's thinking dangerously. But if you take it there are, uh, there are people in authority who would abuse their power of authority and manipulate us into believing something is right when it's really wrong or wrong when it's really right, then I agree with what he said. Now, he didn't have a chance to explain what he said, but see the problem here? If, 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 if we are manipulated to believe something is wrong when it's right or right when it's wrong, then there's a problem. So it all comes back to what we talked about one, one other time, and that is this. Is there a standard by which all of morality is founded? Is there a standard by which all of morality is founded? See, now here's the deal. The problem with determining right or wrong is so subjective that we're not in a good position to do that. I know people who say an act is wrong until they are guilty or they are doing it. Then it's never as wrong as it was when they weren't doing it. Have you been there and heard that? I'll never do this. I can't believe he or she is doing that. Then they find themselves a few years later in the midst of the same activity and you ask them the same question. Wasn't this just as wrong as it was before? They go like this. Yeah, but this is different. Why? Because it's you. Right? That's the way it works. See, so we're not in a good position to determine right or wrong. We're not in a good position to, uh, to, to come up with objective moral absolutes. In reality, what's been said is true, and this is what we're going to get into. God determines what is right and what is wrong. As a creator, 
or one in authority, he has that right to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And without the existence of God, moral absolutes, moral values cannot be fixed or they cannot be established. When we deny the existence of God, everything gets thrown out the window and we're all on our own. And we all determine what is right or what is wrong in our own eyes. And do you see what's happening around us? We've got a whole bunch of people determining what is right and what is wrong. And as a result, we have anarchy. I'll give you an example how silly this is. What if we lived in a world where you and I as individuals could determine whether we wanted to stop at red lights? Think about this. It sounds, you know, stupid, but carry it all the way through. What if we lived in a world where individuals could determine whether they want to stop at red lights? You're driving down the street. I don't feel led to stop at the light. Well, you may be led to Martin Luther King Hospital. I mean, you're going to be led somewhere. See the problem? But that's the way it is. What if you worked in a company that someone said, I don't like to get up early. I think I'll come in around 9-ish or 10. Think about this. What if your children said, come in at 11? Man, I think I'll just come in like whenever I feel like it. Eat? I'll eat when I want. I'll eat what I want. You're not going to tell me what to eat, when to be here. Some of you are going, have you been by my house recently? <laughs> I know you're thinking that. Test? Take a test? I'm not taking a test. You take a test. And besides, this test looks discriminatory in some way. It discriminates those who don't study and don't apply themselves. <laughs> See, what are, the, what are the roots of morality? Next time when we get together, we'll see that God has some ideas. He has established a standard. And when we as a society are in agreement of this general standard, <laughs> then we can all function and we can all achieve things as a society for the betterment of society. But when we throw God out the window and throw his standards out the window and don't want anything to do with authority, we're all on our own. And guess what? We got a mess in society because our consciences died as a result. Not everybody, and this is a very valid point, and we'll discuss it next time, not every founding father of this country were Christians. But those who weren't agreed to a moral consensus of what was right and what was wrong. And we'll get into that next week. Evolution, as we look at it, and we go through secular humanism. And then the last thing that we saw, situational ethics are killing the conscience of our society. And we need to be armed and ready to fight it every chance that we get. Because we've got the truth and the truth will set us free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to give us an introduction into your moral laws and your values. God, help us to see without your existence or the denial of your existence, there is chaos, there is anarchy in society. God, help us next time as we get together to look at your word and see what you have to say as to how we should govern ourselves. 
God, we just thank you for rules and for standards that protect those who are innocent against those who are evildoers. God, help us to see the value of that and help us to promote it in the culture that's trying to deny your existence in every way that they can. God, help us to stand up as your people and be heard in a loud voice in a culture where every belief system is accommodated except for Judeo-Christian principles. God, help us to be a voice that's crying in the darkness that sets straight the path that you've laid for us. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.